worship him and to, to be reminded of just uh, his glorious salvation in Jesus Christ. Let me give to you just a, a few announcements this morning. Uh, the first is just a reminder that uh, this coming Saturday, uh, which is the 13th, uh, will be uh, Gail Bridgewood's uh, service uh, that will be here at the church at 11 a.m. And uh, following that, uh, there will be a, a lunch uh, downstairs. Uh, everyone is invited to attend uh, that service uh, and continue just to, to pray uh, for, for Bill, uh, continue to pray for the family uh, as well as they, um, as they continue to, to, to grieve and continue to trust in the Lord. Um, another quick reminder is that on the 21st uh, will be the last day that we are collecting the Operation Christmas Child Boxes. Uh, if you are interested, uh, there are some boxes downstairs that you can pick up, and I would encourage you to pick one or two, and then just as long as you bring them back uh, before uh, the 21st or on that 21st, which is a, a Sunday, uh, but that will be the day that we will collect them and that they will be uh, transported elsewhere. Uh, also on the 21st, at the conclusion of our service, we will have uh, a members meeting where we will uh, go through uh, the budget for next year. Uh, so if you are uh, a member here at Seacoast Community Church, uh, please uh, mark that in your calendars and, uh, and try to be here for that. Also, uh, the, the budget is posted in the back wall. There are also physical uh, copies that you can take with you as well. Uh, it, is, uh, it is sort of a, a work in progress. It is about 90% uh, finalized. Uh, but if you have any questions at all, please uh, direct them to me or to Jay Smith. I will also send out an electronic copy this week as well for you to have just in preparation for, for that meeting. And then lastly, on the 28th, we will have our Thanksgiving dinner in the fellowship hall. Uh, there is a sign-up sheet downstairs, uh, so please, please uh, take a look at that and sign up uh, to bring something, whether it's a dessert, a particular side dish, or if you want to purchase something, if you want to uh, grab drinks. Anything would be really helpful. It's also a really good uh, Sunday to invite any neighbor, uh, co-worker, uh, family member, uh, whoever it is uh, that are invited to come and just partake of that fellowship with us. So again, that's the 28th that is following that uh, service on Sunday. So uh, that's all the announcements I have. The Lord in his word uh, tells us that, that the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases and that his mercies are made new to us every day. And some of you come here this morning and needing to be perhaps reminded of the mercy of God over your life. Some of you may perhaps be coming here this morning just wanting to be encouraged, uh, perhaps strengthened. Uh, this service uh, is, is for you. Uh, this is a service where, whereby we can pursue the Lord together, to draw near to him, uh, to worship him. You cannot exhaust uh, the mercies of God. As the word says, they are renewed to you every single morning. And so, and this morning, just like every single Sunday morning, is an opportunity uh, where we can be reminded of the mercy of God and pursue him because of that mercy and rejoice in that mercy and give glory to him for that mercy. And so let's draw near to the Lord this morning to worship him because of his incredible mercy and the salvation that we have together in Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen, church. Let's, let's stand. Let's stand and let's worship the, uh, together this, this morning. Um, but before we do, um, and following, um, just um, 
Pastor Demi's, um, well, what he just shared. Um, I'm going to read out of Psalm uh, 67, verses 3 to 5. Um, this is our call to worship. It's a time for us to, um, to hear God's word and for it to encourage us to walk and come into worship this morning. So let the people, let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Salah, let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. And let's do just that this morning. Amen.
from heaven's throne acquainted with our sorrow to trade the debt we owe your suffering for our freedom sing the lamb of
This morning, we worship you, Lord, because of the cross, because of the ultimate sacrifice, Lord, that you have done for us on the cross. Father, um, we, we thank you. Father, I, I, I pray that as your word is preached now and as we pray, God, that you may be magnified. Father, that we may be encouraged through your word. And I pray, God, that uh, again, Lord, that all the glory may be to you today. Uh, lead us now, Lord, into your word. And we ask you in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, you may be seated. Amen. Before we uh, transition to the preaching of the word, I want to, uh, I'm going to do something a little different this morning. Some of you noticed that, uh, that the, uh, the Edward and Emily Brake uh, are here with us, uh, along with their, uh, their two children, uh, Samuel and Sophia. Uh, if you are not, uh, if you don't know them, uh, Edward and Emily uh, minister uh, to college students at uh, UNH uh, through Crew, and they are here to uh, just to give us an update and let us know how things are are going uh, for them in ministry at UNH. And so I'll invite them to to come up and, and share with us and 
Um, and then we'll spend some time uh, in prayer, and then we'll uh, go to uh, the preaching of the word. So glad to have you guys with us. Good morning, guys. Yeah, so we're Edward and Emily Brake, and we work with Crew, which is the U.S. Ministry of Campus Crusade for Christ International, and specifically uh, the campus ministry at the University of New Hampshire. And then I also serve with a national role with Crew on the mission trip operations team. Uh, and we're excited to be here. Seacoast partners with us both financially and in prayer, so excited to come and share an update. And then. My family actually attended church here years ago when I was a little kid, so it's always fun to be back in this space and in this building for me. Uh, and our vision with Crew is can be summed up in the three words, win, build, and send, that we want to see students one to Christ, that they would start following Christ while they're in college, that they would be built up in their faith, and then that they would be sent out wherever they go post-college, because the reality is that students are only students for four to you know, seven years. Um, and then they go on to be the leaders in their churches and their workplaces and teachers in schools and have the potential for incredible gospel impact the rest of their lives. And so we want to see students living on mission for Jesus wherever they go after college. Yeah, and it's fun to be here and actually know that there's some UNH students sitting here looking at us. Um, I'd also say, as Edward said, thank you so much for the ways that you support us. I just dropped our two kids, Samuel and Sophia, I think we've got a picture of them up here, um, upstairs in the kids' room, and Debbie Boyle said, look, here's our poster for the missionaries that we pray for. This is Mrs. Blake. She's on our poster. And all the kids were like, oh. So it means so much to know that from a really young age, you as a church are praying for us, and that makes a huge difference for us and our students. Um, Alexa, who's on this next slide, is a student that I mentored the past two years. You can see she just graduated in May with her nursing degree, hence the stethoscope. And if that helps to understand what win, build, send looks like, here's a little of Alexa's story. So she came into UNH. She would have said that she was a Christian, but the way that she was living her life didn't reflect that. And as she got involved with crew and came to one of our winter conferences, God just really made it clear to her, like, hey, I'm not actually the Lord of your life. I'm not actually who you're living for. And when she decided that that's what she wanted. She wanted to follow Jesus with her whole heart. Her whole life changed. What she did on weekends, who she hung out with, just total 180. And it was incredible. Last year during the pandemic, as we're trying to invite students in to help them plug into community, we had something where they could fill out a form on social media and we would connect them with an upperclassman. And so I would say to Alexa, hey, we've got this freshman. She doesn't know what she thinks. She has all these questions about spiritual things and faith. Do you have time to meet up with her? And Alexa almost always was like, yes, I love freshmen. I love Jesus. I love coffee. Give me this girl's number. I want to meet with her. And so to see Alexa get it, to see the difference that it makes to follow Jesus and see her really be built up in her faith and then be equipped to go on and share that faith with other students. And now that she's working in a hospital in Maine, 
as a nurse for her to be thinking about how do I, in a professional and respectful way, share my faith in a way that impacts my coworkers and my colleagues. That's what we mean when we say we want to see students won and built and sent. And then I don't know if you guys have noticed this generation has something called a cell phone that they use 24-7. So we want to be where students are. And where students are is on their phone on social media. And so one of my big responsibilities is heading up our social media team. I coach students, and we use Instagram to reach new students. So last year, during the pandemic, when everything was locked down and there was nothing normal on campus, we had more freshmen than ever before get involved. And a lot of those were because they found us on Instagram, filled out a form, and we had awesome upperclassmen like Alexa who said, come join my small group, come join my Bible study, come hang out, come get coffee. And that's true this year, even as life is more normal. Um, I, we had a student from Mexico reach out to us and say, hey, I've never been to New Hampshire in my life. I got accepted to the grad program. Can I, can I video chat with you? Because I want to find a Christian community. And so I got to meet her over Instagram video this summer. And now she's become a key part of our community. And so that's, that's what we get to do, is we get to find students where they are and help them connect to Jesus through crew. As Emily is reaching students on Instagram, I, from my computer in my home office, get to change the world by helping send students on mission trips around the world to share about Jesus. Um, so if you want to do the next slide, here's my team, which is all remote, um, but the mission trip operations team. We do logistics for crew mission trips um, for anything from a one-week spring break trip to sending students on summer missions for four to 10 weeks, um, to sending interns to go serve on campuses around the world and share about Jesus for a year. Uh, and one of the intern teams that I got to send two years ago, actually, um, were in the Middle East, 2019, all 2020. Um, and they, in May of 2020, in the midst of lockdown around the world, saw a student come to faith. Um, and in her first month as a new believer, she led 13 others to Christ in this country in the Middle East. Uh, they saw another student who they saw come to faith, and then shortly after messaged them to say, my family accepted Christ. And they were like, how many people in your family? And she texted back, 24. There's only three left, and we're working on them. And at the end of 2020 in December, they took a look at the past year, so the entire year of 2020, um, and started doing like a spiritual family tree of those who they had seen come to faith, and then who they had led to faith, and then those that had been led to faith. And their best estimate is that from the spiritual family tree, that there were a thousand new believers in this location in the Middle East. Uh, and so that's the impact of getting to send students and alumni as interns on mission around the world, that God does incredible things through them and his kingdom grows. And sometimes we don't actually have to send them to make an impact around the world. So this fall, we partnered with Crew's humanitarian aid branch. It's called Unto. So we work with the campus ministry branch, and there's also a humanitarian aid branch. 
and we gathered over 100 students, you can see the picture up on the screen, in the student center, and we put together 500 school supply kits. And so UNTO is sending these to places around the world where we have staff who work with crew and kids don't have access to really basic things like pencils. And so that's a double chance for us to share hope because a lot of those students who came, probably about 20%, had no connection to a Christian ministry. We had like the guys' tennis team show up to do community service hours. And so they got to hear, here's why we're doing this. Here's the reason we have for hope in Christ, and here's why we want to love our neighbors well. And then those kits go overseas, and as the crew staff are handing them out, they get the chance. Here's why we love you. Here's the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And so it's a double win getting to share Jesus with students on campus and then getting to share Jesus with kids around the world who get the things that they need to help them get an education. Uh, and then one other way that God has blessed us to interact with students and impact with students, you can do this next slide, is that God uh, basically dropped a house in our lap this past year that literally backs up the campus. Actually, if you give me that next slide, um, you can see through the tree line that is a parking lot on campus. Um, so we literally can like take a path and be on campus, or students can take a path and come to us. Um, and the short story is that we were not in the housing market at all, and within a week from seeing a for sale sign, we're under contract to buy a house um, in a way that only God could do. If you want the whole story, come grab us afterwards. Um, and yeah, we've already been able to see the impact, whether it be hosting events in our backyard or having students over for dinner at our home and being like, just walk over, we're here, show up whenever. Um, that it's been, yeah, just incredible. And that's our hope for years to come, to be there, to be right on campus, and to host students in different ways and impact them in a life-on-life -life manner. Uh, and with the purchase of our home and the birth of Sophia a year ago, um, we've been doing some additional support raising while uh, also working in our roles. Uh, all staff with crew raised their own funding to cover salary and ministry expenses, et cetera. Um, and we invite people to partner with us in prayer and in giving financially. And we're so thankful for you guys as a church doing both of those. Um, but if any of you as individuals would like to hear more about either giving or sign up for our monthly prayer letter, um, you can grab us in back afterwards or you can fill up the slide with your email on it if you want to jot that down or snap a picture real quick. Um, and yeah, we just so appreciate you guys as a church, and it's so good to be with you today. So, thanks. Matt, incredibly, incredibly encouraging. Thank you guys for, for sharing with us, and just to know how the Lord is using you and using your efforts uh, to just uh, uh, to reach out to college students and even to people around the world, it's actually pretty incredible. And um, it's, uh, it's a joy just to partner with you guys uh, through prayer and to financially and also just to, just to know you. So um, I do want to spend uh, just a brief moment just uh, to praying for, uh, for them uh, and their family and their ministry. Uh, to, to UNH. And so if you would, uh, bow your heads with me and let's uh, spend a moment in prayer. Father, you are 
the author of, our, of all salvation. We thank you for giving us the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, and we are, we are in awe of who you are. You have saved us, Lord, not because of works done in righteousness, but you have saved us through the gift of salvation, through the gift of faith that you have given to us, a faith in the person of your Son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for our sins. Lord, and we thank you for the ways that you are promoting and, and, and even just spreading uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ uh, to college students, Lord, specifically at UNH. Father, we, we rejoice at these, at these testimonies. We rejoice in the ways that you are saving your people. We thank you, God, for, for the ways that you have, uh, you have spoken uh, to Alexa, uh, to people overseas, and how they are also sharing their faith with others, God. It is, it's a miraculous work. Lord, and we rejoice in just being able to, to, to take a small part in that. Father, we thank you for, for Edward and Emily. Father, we pray, we pray that you would continue to bless them and keep them, give them wisdom, be a light unto their feet and a guide unto their path. Help them, Lord, to continue to share the gospel with students, that they would continue to, to build uh, disciples and, and send them out. Lord, continue to bless their efforts. We thank you for your gracious provision, and we pray, God, that you would graciously provide more and more for all of their needs. We pray that you would give them wisdom and guidance, Lord, as they raise their two children, that their children would also, Lord, would love Jesus, that they would also love students, that they would love missions, that they would love the gospel. And Father, we pray and ask that you would bring about a great salvation on that campus, Lord, that you would draw many students to the gospel of Jesus Christ, that you would draw faculty and staff to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, would you do a powerful and miraculous work on the campus of UNH and that you would continue to use your people to pray for students, for the preaching of the gospel, and for encouraging believers and helping them to grow in their faith. Lord, so we, we trust you for all these things. Lord, and, and quickly, we turn our hearts also to our persecuted brothers and sisters across the world, and this is a special day that has been commemorated in order to pray specifically for our brothers and sisters who suffer imprisonment and persecution on, the, on account of the gospel, who are disowned by family members, who are forced to to meet in secret for fear of their lives. God, we pray for them and we ask that you would strengthen them, that you would encourage them, Lord, that they would continue to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. God, we pray that you would draw near to them and comfort their hearts and encourage them that they would not give up. 
Help them, Lord, to withstand in these evil days that they would set their hearts and their minds on the prize that is waiting for them at the end of the finish line and that they would draw encouragement from that. Remind them, even in this moment as we pray for them, that you are with them, that your presence is always with them. That even if they should walk through the valley, the shadow of death, that they have nothing to fear because you are with them. We thank you, Lord, for the ways that you continue to build your church. And we pray, God, that you may come soon. All to your eternal glory and for the joy and for the rest, Lord, of your people. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would, please turn to the book of Philippians we're in Philippians chapter 1, and we'll be reading verses 21 through 25, but turning our attention specifically to verse 25, that set of passages. Philippians chapter 1, beginning at verse 21. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we pray that we pray that you may speak to us this morning through your divinely inspired word. Lord, we pray that through the preaching of your word, and the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would give us an increasing hunger and appetite for the pursuit of your kingdom, for the pursuit of Jesus. I pray that you may guide my every word, Lord, and ultimately that it may be not my words, but your word, that will be implanted deep in our hearts through your Holy Spirit who lives in us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. There's a series of books based on several theologians and saints of the past, and each author, and there's a different author for each book, and each book is intended to sort of give a short biography on each saint and draw out some valuable lessons from their lives, one particular author, Dane Orland, wrote one of these books in this particular series. He wrote Edwards, that is Jonathan Edwards, on the Christian life. And in that particular book, he helps, he 
gives sort of a helpful analogy with regards to the Christian life. So if you can picture two descending escalators, and on one escalator it's just people standing on the escalator, letting the escalator take them down, continually descending, and then on the other escalator are people who are striving to run up that escalator. And if you've ever tried that, you know that it can be pretty tiring and exhausting if you do it for long enough. Jonathan Edwards once said that the way to heaven is ascending. We must be content to travel uphill, though it be hard and tiresome and contrary to the natural tendency and bias of our flesh that tends downward to the earth. So that picture of the descending escalator with people running up that escalator sort of gives a picture of the Christian life, one that is always striving to run up this descending escalator. This really speaks to the Christian's upward trajectory as he or she makes their way in this world in the pursuit of the heavenly kingdom. It also speaks to the gradual progress that the Christian makes in his Christian walk, a progress of sanctification, of more holiness, a progress of Christ-likeness, a progress of growing in joy and rejoicing in Christ. You see, one of the chief concerns of God's people is to make progress in the faith and to enhance their joy in the Lord. And so we turn then our attention to this particular passage in Philippians chapter 1 as we continue to talk about saving faith and the nature of saving faith. And so what I want to do is just put before you two particular points. And one is the command to make progress and rejoice. And second, the means of progress and joy. I think chapter 1, verse 25 of Philippians teaches us that there is a great concern for your progress and joy and for my progress and joy in the faith. So verse 25 of chapter 1 in Philippians, in its context, the Apostle Paul is describing this difficult tension that he's experiencing, whether he, will desire, whether he desires to depart and be with Christ or to remain on the earth and remain in this life. Hence why he says that for me to live is Christ and to die is, is gain. He's hard-pressed between these two decisions. He cannot make the decision on his own. And for someone to have this sort of this difficult tension, you know, to be depart and be with Christ, or to remain here on the earth to, for, the, for the sake of the church, it's also helpful to consider the fact that Paul wasn't the kind of man who lived an easy life, as many of you know. In fact, when he wrote these words, he was in prison for the preaching of the gospel. So in anyone's mind, it makes sense that he might instead desire to depart and be with Christ. Anything is better, really, than being sitting here in prison. And certainly being with Christ in heaven is far better. And in this book, this particular letter, what you see a lot of is joy. 
right, the apostle's joy. You read about his joy in the gospel, his joy that even though he's in prison, the gospel continues to be preached, his joy in the church. Joy is a predominant theme in the letter of Paul to the Philippians. And you have several times in the letter where he is commanding the church to have joy or to rejoice in the Lord. To rejoice in the Lord is actually one of the most repeated commands in the entire Bible. Now for the Christian, for the believer and follower of Jesus Christ, to rejoice or have joy in the Lord isn't a command that is difficult to follow. Because you love the Lord. You pursue the Lord. Your joy is already grounded in the Lord Jesus. And so it is a command that isn't burdensome for the Christian. In Philippians 3, we see Paul's sense of joy in Jesus Christ and the gospel. In Philippians 3, 7, he says, Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. And if you read what came before that, Paul speaks about everything that he had. A teacher of teachers, a Pharisee, and with that comes the prestige, the status, the honor, the recognition of the people, of his being a teacher of teachers. And he left it all behind for the sake of Christ. And not only that, but he considers that stuff rubbish in comparison to having the treasure that is Jesus Christ. He shows us that the greatest treasure of the Christian life is Christ himself. And yes, in the gospel of Jesus Christ, we receive salvation, we receive the mercy of God, we receive the Holy Spirit, we receive adoption as sons and daughters of the living God, those are wonderful blessings that we receive through the gospel of Jesus Christ. But the greatest treasure of the Christian life is Christ himself. The ground of Christian joy is found in a personal and relational knowledge of Jesus Christ as Savior. And that joy is enhanced in the life of the church. So if we circle back to chapter 1, verse 25, where we ended sort of in the middle of a thought. But if we conclude that thought in verse 26, it says, So that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Somehow the Apostle Paul is convinced that he will get out of prison, and historically he actually does get out of prison, and his, his intent is to then make another visit to the Philippian church. And he is convinced and is anticipating that it will increase the joy of the church in his coming to them and his making known his presence to them and their receiving him. It's not that they will have joy in him. No, it will actually enhance their joy in the Lord Jesus because they're so concerned with the Apostle Paul. In that same way, right, the church... When they have their joy grounded in the Lord Jesus, they enhance each other's joy through various different means. So there's encouragement, admonishment, serving. 
in some, the joy of the Christian is important to the Apostle Paul. And given the many commands sprinkled throughout the entire Bible, the joy of the Christian also seems to be a great concern to God himself. And we see that concern, for example, in John 15, verses 1 through 11. We won't read all of those passages, but John 15, verse 1, Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Verse 6, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. By this, my Father is glorified, verse 8, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Why is it so important to Jesus that his disciples, that his people have joy? And we find an answer to that question when we consider sort of the context in which these words are written. Jesus is saying these words moments before he goes to the cross. To go to the cross on behalf of sinners, to die at the hands of sinners. Jesus is about to depart from this world, and his disciples remain on earth. And so it seems to be that Jesus is so concerned for the joy of his people because they will remain on the earth in a world that rejoices in the absence of the Savior and hates his people. To put it simply, if you were to find joy, joy is an abiding and sustaining hopefulness that comes from possessing Christ as your greatest treasure. It is an abiding and sustaining hopefulness that comes from possessing Christ as your greatest treasure. Joy is absolutely essential for every believer. It's essential in combating sin. It's essential for enduring It's essential for maintaining a holy optimism when the world only seems to get darker and darker. And joy is absolutely essential when one is experiencing suffering. So God is greatly concerned for your joy and my joy, and he desires for us to grow in our joy in the Lord Jesus. Not only that, but the scriptures also teach us that there is also a concern for our progress. In different places in the New Testament, we're called to bear fruit in keeping with repentance, to be holy because God is holy. That requires progress. That we show brotherly affection and increase in doing so. Now, why exactly are we required to make progress? I mean, just last week, right, if you were here last week, we talked about the fact that that God, in Christ Jesus, makes us entirely new. That through the gospel of Jesus Christ, through faith 
in Jesus as the Son of God who came into the world and died for sinners, that he does not just make you a better version of yourself, but no, he makes you completely new. He causes you to be born again so that you are a new person through faith in Jesus Christ. So why is, this, this, is there this concern that we make progress in our faith? And 2 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 5, answers that question for us. It says, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He says, make every effort to supplement your faith with all of these virtues. Not just supplement your faith with all these virtues, but that you would also increase in these different virtues. Why? Because they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful. And they prevent you from falling away. The Bible uses many verbs to describe the Christian life. Labor, run, flee, stand firm, kill sin, be strong, train yourselves. These active verbs and many others in the New Testament intend to teach us that the Christian life is one of gradual progress. And that there is no room for complacency. There's a story of a couple, Robert and Glenda Lennon, who decide to take out their yacht and go fishing. This is in the, in the coast of Florida. They go out four miles off the coast, decide to go fishing. Glenda decides to go out for a swim. She dives in, and after some moments, out there swimming in the water, she realizes that she's, been, that she's gone further and further away from the boat because the current has actually turned and it's actually taking her further away. She calls out to her husband. Her husband, without hesitation, dives into the water after his wife. He swims out to her, but the current is taking them both away from the boat. And he realizes, and he's an expert swimmer, he realizes that she can't get there on her own, and he doesn't have the strength to fight against the current and also carry her back to the boat. So they decide instead that she's going to stay there. Keep yourself afloat. Let the current take you. I'm going to swim back against the current, back to the boat. He swims back, but it takes him six hours to get back to the boat. Gets back on the boat tries to search for his wife, and he can't find her. Other boats in the area also join and try to find his wife. They can't find her. It's already dark at this point. They have no choice but to go back to shore. The next morning, a party goes out to search for her, and they find her. 
20 miles off the coast, still alive. Just a picture there of the Christian life. That the Christian life is one of swimming against the current. And the danger is that if we allow ourselves to just float above the waters and let the current take us wherever it wills, the Bible's warning is that we may end up at the shores of destruction. And so we must swim, make progress, swim hard. In Matthew chapter 11, Jesus has this judgment against his current generation because they don't show the right or appropriate response given to the situation that is at hand, and that is that the king has arrived and there's the preaching of the gospel. People are not rejoicing and dancing where they should be. People are not mourning when they should be mourning. And Jesus says in Matthew eleven twelve, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. Jesus is giving us there a picture of the Christian life. That those who pursue the kingdom, they pursue it with vigor, with tenacity, that they never stop striving to enter the kingdom of heaven. Because these individuals who, who, who strive, it's like the picture of, a, of, a, of soldiers trying to take over a city. They are, they are forcing their way and they're striving to get into the kingdom. Why? Because they have realized that this kingdom is precious. That this is the appropriate response. What has John the Baptist been doing since the beginning of his ministry until the point that he was crucified uh, or beheaded? He preached the kingdom. He preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the response is that people were receiving the gospel and were seeking to enter the kingdom of heaven. They determined that what lies before them is much greater than what they're leaving behind. And so they want so badly to enter the kingdom of heaven. Oh, that there would be such a response today to the preaching of the gospel that people would pursue it with all of their might. Yes, let me into the kingdom. Let me behold the king. That's what we're called to do, to pursue the kingdom of heaven with all of our might. The kingdom of heaven was never intended to indulge the ease of the lazy, of the lazy and slothful, but it is intended to be a place of comfort and rest for those who run hard and swim hard after it. It's for this reason that Jonathan Edwards once said, and if you've, you've probably heard me say this many times before, but the pursuit of the kingdom is the chief business of the Christian. You have a lot of responsibilities on your shoulders. You have a lot of things to take care of, and you have to take care of those responsibilities. But nothing takes the place of pursuing the kingdom of heaven. That is your chief and primary concern above all other things. So 
we must make progress, increase in these virtues that we read about in Second, in Second Peter. Because doing so keeps us from being ineffective or unfruitful, and they keep us also from falling and ending up at the shores of destruction. So there's a great concern here for our progress, and hopefully you see the reason why. Now in John 15, verse 12, Jesus says, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. Jesus is pointing to himself, that he is that great friend who laid down his life for his friends. No other example of love surpasses that particular example. There is a great motivation for why you and I must work diligently to pursue the kingdom of heaven because Jesus loves us and Jesus died for us. He laid down his life for us. So how could we not then pursue his kingdom and pursue Jesus? Someone who has given his life so that we might be saved. So that given this concern for your joy and progress, and given the commands in the scriptures to make progress and to increase joy in the Lord and have your joy in the Lord, then what, what then are our means? What are the means of progress and joy. So transitioning now to the second and final point. What are the means that God has given to his church for their progress and joy in the faith? It's a particular office, and that is the office of the elder pastor. In Ephesians chapter 4, we have this grand vision of the church. It tells us there that Jesus, when he ascended to heaven, he then dispensed gifts to the church. It says that he gave to the church the apostles, an office that I don't think is still present today. He gave the office of the apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. So God's purpose in giving to the church the office of the elder pastors to help the church to make progress and help them enhance their joy in the Lord Jesus Christ. One of those ways is as functioning as officers of unity, of helping to maintain the unity of the church that is theirs to the gospel of Jesus Christ, that is to help the church make progress and growing and maturing, and hopefully, well, certainly one day, leading to reaching the stature of the fullness of Christ when Christ returns. And the purpose is so that we may not be carried away by the currents of the world, the currents 
of ideologies that are contrary to the gospel, the false doctrine that is preached even behind many pulpits today. This matters a great deal because essentially doctrine is a matter of life and death. The teaching of the church is a matter of life and death. And if you protect the doctrine and the teaching of the church, you also help to protect the life of the church. And here is one particular reason why I myself must be diligent to make progress, particularly in the preaching of the Word of God. 2 Corinthians 1.18, it says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Then later, verse 21, For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. Right, we preach the gospel of Jesus Christ because people need to hear the gospel in order to be saved from the judgment and the wrath of God. We want to preach the gospel to those who do not know Jesus in a personal way because we want them to know Jesus in a personal way and to have mercy and forgiveness and receive adoption as sons and daughters of God. But here in this passage in 2 Corinthians, it also teaches us that the word of the cross, that the preaching of the cross, of the gospel, is also for the believer. that it is for those who are being saved. Which tells me that something supernatural happens every single Sunday morning. When a pastor gets up and opens up the scriptures and sets a a particular passage before the people and explains that passage and helps people see the realities of that passage through the lens of the gospel of Jesus Christ and helps people to live according to those realities through the gospel of Jesus Christ, that God means to use that as a way of effecting salvation in those who are saved. Not through the facilitating of a discussion on Sunday mornings. Not through a lecture on Sunday mornings. Not through our separating into different groups and discussing a particular passage. Those are helpful in different contexts. But this passage here tells me that God blesses in a unique way the preaching of the word to effect and bring salvation in the hearts of those who are his, including my own. First Corinthians 1, verse 24, it says, Not that we lord it over your faith, but we work with you for your joy, for you stand firm in your faith. One of the primary responsibilities of an elder pastor is to work with the saints for their joy. To help raise their level of affections for the Lord Jesus Christ. To help set their eyes on Jesus Christ. To behold the beauty of Jesus Christ through divinely inspired word. John 15 verse 9 
It says, as the Father has loved me, we read this passage earlier, so I have loved you. Abide in my love, Jesus says. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. And one of the responsibilities of a preacher of the word, of the elder pastor, is to encourage and exhort the church to follow the commands of Scripture. And by the way, that is also how we help one another increase in our joy in the Lord, by encouraging one another to obey the commandments of the Scriptures. What Jesus is telling us in these passages is that joy and obedience go hand in hand. If you're lacking in joy these days, then I would ask, well, how obedient have you been to the Lord? Joy is not without obedience. That is, joy in the Lord is not without obedience. Those who are joy-filled obey the Lord and walk in his commands. Those who seek to be more joy-filled will walk in the commandments of the Lord. Obedience without joy is just moralism. Commandments apart from joy in the Lord, through faith in the Lord Jesus, it's just pharisaical faith. It's just rules and standards of behavior when they are apart from faith and joy in the Lord Jesus Christ. And this just ends up just being a religion. I know, right, as Christians, right, we're identified as, the, as, a, as a Christian religion, but for Christians, but for followers of Jesus Christ, for those who strive to pursue the kingdom of heaven with all of their might because of the great treasure that is Christ himself, no, this isn't just a religion. This is a way of life. It is the reason why early, the early Christians in the book of Acts were identified or known as the way. Because following Jesus was the way of life. There is no other kind of life for the Christian, there's only one way of life, and that is the one that is always following Jesus Christ. John 16, 24. Another means of making progress in joy. Until now you have asked nothing in my name, Jesus asks. Ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be full. One of my responsibilities is to encourage you to keep praying. Again, Jesus seems to be teaching us that joy and prayer seem to go hand in hand. So if you're lacking in joy, one of the first questions I would ask myself is, well, how much am I praying? They go hand in hand. That's why we pray on Sunday mornings. That's why we encourage people to be part of a community group during the week, to get together with other believers, to pray together. That's why I want to continue to encourage you to pray because I want you to be the most joy-filled people in the planet. And you can't have that unless you are praying regularly and often. Well, 
So if we wish to make progress and increase our joy in the Lord, we must be obedient. We must walk in the commandments of the Lord because that is how we abide in the love of Jesus. Prayer is also another means of growing in joy and making progress. But let me give you one final special means of grace that God has given to his church to help them make progress and increase their joy in the Lord. And that is the word of God. It is his word. Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. Meaning that no matter what the person endeavors to do, he always bears fruit. And there's a contrast there. Right? You have the way of the wicked, the totality of the wicked. They walk, sit, stand with sinners. That's the, the totality of the life that is per, of the person who is apart from Christ. But on the other hand, the person who is blessed by God is the person who delights in the word of God and meditates on his word day and night. One of the most joy-filled, one of the most happy saints that I know of is George Mueller. Many of you, I'm sure, are familiar with him. George Mueller was the man who established many orphanages, never took out debts, never asked people for money. Everything was provided by the Lord. Everything was provided through prayer and prayer alone. And George Mueller writes this. It's a little lengthy, but I hope you can bear with me. He writes, now, I saw that the most important thing I had to do was to give myself to the reading of the word of God and to meditation on it, that thus my heart might be comforted, encouraged, warned, reproved, instructed, and that thus, by the means of the word of God, while meditating on it, my heart might be brought into experimental communion with the Lord. He writes elsewhere, I saw more clearly than ever that the first great and primary business to which I ought to attend every day was to have my soul happy in the Lord. The first thing to be concerned about was not how much I might serve the Lord, how I might glorify the Lord, but how I might get my soul into a happy state and how my inner man might be nourished. For I might seek to set the truth before the unconverted. I might seek to benefit believers. I might seek to relieve the distressed. I might, in other ways, seek to behave myself as it becomes a child of God in this world. And yet, not being happy in the Lord and not being nourished and strengthened in my inner man day by day, all this might not be attended to in a right spirit. Right? You might seek to relieve the distressed, to encourage others, to exhort others, to serve others, to glorify the Lord, but those things might not be attended to in the right manner if your soul isn't happy 
and satisfied in the Lord Jesus first and foremost. And I may have spent like three hours every single day in reading and meditating and praying. Now, there's no command in Scripture that you ought to do the same. Even in Psalm 1, it doesn't explicitly command you and I to meditate on the Word of God. But would you not consider the principle of Psalm 1 worthy of imitating? Would you not learn from this dear saint and many others like him and their practice of communion with God? Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the man or woman of God who delights in the word of God and meditates on the word of God day and night. Don't you desire to be blessed? As human beings, we are pretty good at never missing a meal. Breakfast, lunch, dinner. But how often we neglect the diet of communion with God. How often do we neglect this necessary meal to nourish our souls? I love the language of John chapter 6. In John chapter 6, Jesus speaking to a vast crowd. He's teaching them, he's telling them, that unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. For everyone who feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up in the last day. Right, sounds disgusting. But Jesus often uses this offensive language to make a point. Jesus is talking about faith. That faith is like consuming Jesus Christ. But if you are to believe in Jesus, it is like it is consuming Jesus so that he then consumes you because Jesus desires to not only have a part of you, he doesn't desire just 10% of you or 50% of you or 90% of you, but believing in Jesus requires that he have everything. We must be consuming Christ if we wish Christ to consume us to be possessed by Christ. This requires a regular diet of the Word of God. Having this daily communion with Christ, why would you not want to be possessed by Christ? Do you not wish to imitate Christ? Do you not desire to be conformed to His image? Do you not desire to lay aside every sin in your life that clings so closely? Do you not love him? And if you do, then commune with the Lord Jesus. Seek him through his word. Pursue him. Now, pursuit of the Lord through these means, through obedience, through prayer, through the word of God, doesn't always immediately result in increasing progress and joy in the Lord Jesus. But that is not a reason to quit them. For if you do, I guarantee you that you will be in a much worse state, perhaps even finding yourself close to the shores of destruction. Sometimes communion with Christ is like taking a multivitamin each day. We might take them every day. If you don't, maybe you probably should consider doing that. 
or you might take them every day, and you don't necessarily feel different taking them, do you? And if you notice anything, it might be maybe weeks out, maybe months out, who knows, if you ever feel the effects, if you feel any difference. But you take them every day because you trust that they're working. Communion with Christ sometimes is like that. It doesn't always show its fruit immediately. But you trust that it's working. You trust that the Lord is using it as a means of grace in your life, a means by which he is nourishing your soul and strengthening your soul and sustaining your soul. And by the way, how do you keep track of your progress? How do you know you're continuing to grow and progress in your Christian walk, growing in holiness, growing in your joy in the Lord? Through the Word. Because the Word functions as a mirror. It gives us our reflection. The Word encourages us. The Word strengthens us. The Word can affirm us. The Word can also reprove and correct us and convict us and rebuke us. So we go to the Word and we allow the Word to do its work. We pray that by the Spirit of God that the Lord would do His work in our hearts and our lives through the Word, helping us to see where we haven't been making progress, what particular fruit am I not producing? And through the Spirit, aim and pursue to grow and increase in our joy in the Lord. So all in all, what do we learn about the nature of saving faith according to this particular topic and this particular passage in the book of Philippians? what we learn is that saving faith is always in the pursuit of God. Saving faith is always striving to make progress. And saving faith is always pursuing greater joy in the Lord Jesus. So may God see fit to bless our efforts. And may he use his means in the pursuit of God for our joy, for our progress until the day that we can take a much-needed rest when he returns. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, your word teaches us that we are saved by faith and faith alone, but it is not a faith that is stagnant. It is not a faith that remains still much less is it a faith that is lazy and slothful. But it is a a faith that is always pursuing Christ. A faith that is always growing. A faith that strives to grow to the stature of the fullness of Christ. Lord, help us to walk in your commands. Lord, help us to pray. And Lord, help us to go to your word so that we may make progress, so that we may increase in our joy in the Lord Jesus. Help us to not neglect these gracious means. Lord, and you have given us so many others, Lord, like service 
the fellowship of the saints. These are all means of progress and joy in the faith. Help us to not neglect these things. But more than anything else, Lord, if we should pursue you and bear fruit and enhance our joy in the Lord, help us by your Spirit to go to your word, to abide in your word, to learn, to study, to meditate on your word so that we may be blessed, so that we may prosper in all that we do. We trust you, Father, for all of these things. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen, church. Uh, let's, let's stand and worship uh, one more time in song in response of uh, today's message. Uh, hope you, uh, you guys were all encouraged as well. Amen. Single church. Oh, church, arise and put your armor on. Hear the call of Christ our captain. For now the weak can say that they are strong in the strength that God has given. With shield of faith and belt of truth, we'll stand against the death. Has saints of old.
Lord, as we, as we pursue the kingdom of heaven, Lord, I ask that, that we may find this joy, this true joy in our faith. Lord, lead us to, lead us, Lord, to meditate in your word day and night. God, may, may your joy increase as we strive to be obedient in prayer and consuming of your word. Lead us, Father. Lead your church. We desire, we desire, help us, Lord, to desire if we don't, but help us, Lord, to desire to, to abide in you, Lord, always. God, we ask you this as a, as a church and as individuals, Lord, lead us, lead us. In all things, Lord, um, as we pray, it's always in Jesus' name. And we praise you, Father. Amen. Amen. Church, uh, God bless you. Uh, you are not dismissed yet before my benediction, which is out of First Timothy. In uh, chapter 4, verses 7 through 10, it says, <clears throat> Have nothing to do with irreverent, uh, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end, we, we toil and strive because we have our hope Set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Amen. Church, you are dismissed. God bless you.